Good morning. I was just thinking when uh, Mike, Pastor Mike, was up sharing just a, a moment ago, he uh, he said something that kind of stood in my mind. You know that this place would be a, you know, this church would be used like this or that or in these different ways that it would be a nice thing for us. And I'm thinking, you know, we don't really, we have a different culture here than we do when we leave here, don't we? I hope that this place is always a place that's better than what's out there. That's better. That we have higher expectations. Right? We know the Lord's going to do things. We know there's ministry that will happen here. We know people will care for each other here in, in different ways and be patient with each other here and have different higher standards than what happens out there. Isn't that a great thing for a church to be? I like it. Now, this is two weeks in a row for me getting used to the, the fan, the silence in the room. And that's what's been happening. So last Sunday when I spoke, I, I really noticed a silence. You remember that? Yeah. Jeff Gavin has been working his magic. And he's trying to figure out what to do about the fan, the big blower fan that would come in and just blast us. And I think it sounds wonderful, doesn't it? For any of you Grace regulars, you know how quiet it is right now, and I like it. This is kind of nice. So it's good to see all of you. I have two quick announcements before I really get rolling in the Word today. The first is we have a rivet class on Thursday night. This is a, a way to learn more about us here and what we do, and it's a way to find out... Um, if you align, if you've never thought about making grace your home congregation, this is the place to do it. And everybody starts off with the river class, and it talks about where we came from and the values that we really hold true to us. It's a great way to just get to know other new people and figure out what's going on here. So Thursday night, there's a sign-up sheet right on the table to your right. And if you would sign up and give us a sense of how many materials to bring, it's usually smaller, uh, you know, somewhere around 8 to 10 people or so, give or take, and and uh, it's just a good discussion. So please consider coming to that. Or if you have signed up, please come to that. And my second announcement is nothing to do with really anything uh, here this morning. But we are, I am working on setting up another trip to Israel. And if you have never been to Israel, and if you would like to go to Israel, it would be great to have you come. Very, very great. Mike Sabolsky has offered to pay for anybody <laughs> who would like to go to Israel. So... No, really, I don't know how much it's going to be. I can tell you about when it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be from, I believe, the end of October this year into the, the beginning of November. We're looking at a 10-day trip, something like that. There may be an extra night, give or take a night, depending on how air, the air travel works. But we have a great time. I think last time we went, we had 27 people go. We won't go past that. We like to cap our group sizes. Mobility is important. Uh, if you have too large of a group, it takes a long time to get off and on buses. I was on a tour once, and there must have been about 150 of us. And I think each day we went to two or three places. Just slow. I mean, it was just slow. It was like cattle, you know. Uh, we'd get off a bus and on a bus and off a bus. It was just brutal. So we like to go fast. We want to see stuff, and we want to see the stuff in the Bible. And if you've never been, and when you, if you can go, it will change your perspective on scriptures. It really will. And if you have been, and you go back, you learn more. It, it, it's like uh, the first time you go, it's, you know, it's like a whirlwind. The second time, it starts to build, and you get a better sense of what you're seeing. So consider it, if you would. Um, the common questions I get uh, first is, when are we going? And I told you about when that would be. And the second question is, how much? I don't know exactly. 
uh, I think that we're going to be able to go for about what we went last time, which is about 2,700 a person. That's a pretty good deal, by the way. There are trips, there are groups that go to Israel that we're finding out right now, and they're charging about 4000 a person for seven nights. I believe it's seven nights. So 10 nights, 2700 bucks a person-ish. Give us a little time. We're trying to go to new places and some popular old places, places we've been before. Everything in Israel is old, by the way. So we can't just say old places because everything there is old. <laughs> but it's, uh, it is truly a dynamic trip. Beth Messiah will be joining us, or we'll be joining Beth Messiah, I suppose, depending on how you look at it, either way. And uh, there will be people um, that you don't know. It's just a great chance to meet people, but it really changes your perspective in the land. Okay, so more information on that. <sighs> Last week, I had the chance to speak on, do you remember this? Self-worth or our self-value. And we, we looked at kind of both sides of this coin. We, we used pictures last week to look at this illustration. But one side is what the world says, how we should identify or develop our self-worth. And, for example, the world would say, uh, or people out in society in America would say, do what makes you happy. Right? Just do what makes you happy. If you do what makes you happy, you'll be really satisfied. You'll be really, then your self-worth will be really good. Of course, I think that's a little crazy. There's times where I like to, you know, just push my sister or brother around, just to remind him that I'm the oldest. <laughs> I can't always do what makes me happy. All right, this, um, say no to what doesn't make you happy. You know, if you don't feel good about something, you know, society would say, eh, don't do it, just don't, don't do it. I don't feel good about paying taxes, so I'm out there. I'm kidding. I'm going to pay my taxes. Look good. You see, if you look good, you'll feel good. Kind of the society mindset. If you look good, you'll feel good. Dress the part, which I think is a really funny thing. Dress the part. Uh, society also says, sit and keep, or set and keep core values. If you set your own core values and you live to those core values, then you'll really develop a good self-image. And society would finally, they would say, be a good person. They can't identify good but they would say, be a good person. And I think this is a, Idi Amin is, thought he was a good person, right? Hitler thought he was a good person. These people thought they were good people. They were horrible people. But that's what society would say. If you do what your good person is, then, you know, be a good person, then your self-worth will go up. And then we looked at the scriptures. Dylan, let's look at it. Hey, there we are. Our worth. This is some of the things the scriptures say. We were chosen by God. We are God's own workmanship. He himself made us. God made you. You. He made it happen. We are wonderfully made. Whoa. That was, there we go. And for the audio, you don't know what just happened. We were made in his image. In his image. Men and women, we are made in his image. Holy priests. There's a role element to that. To be holy we could stop there. We are, made, we are holy as we follow the Lord. Children of God, heirs of God. We have become righteousness of God. This is where our self-worth, this is where it's at. The Lord looks at our heart and not the outward. It's not how we look. This, this verse is in a direct conflict to us looking our self-worth, to us dressing the part, isn't it? And God does not look at the outward. He looks at the inward. So, that's what we talked about last week. We talked a little bit about how our self-worth applies to the idea. It sets the tone for how we will move forward in God or not move forward in God. 
Remember, the, we talked about the, ten, uh, the, the parable of the talents, right? Three guys, one guy gets ten talents, he goes and doubles his money. One guy gets five talents, he goes and doubles it. One guy gets one talent. And he does not appreciate that his master sees that he has a capability to do something with his talent. So he buries it. And he keeps it safe. He doesn't do anything with it. He doesn't appreciate how his master views him. Is it warm in here? It's a little warm in here. It's nap time. I'm watching eyeballs go like this. The fan's off? All right, so I'm going to be done in about 30 seconds here. Let's wrap this up. Our fan's off. Okay, I'm going to get moving. That's the magic man right there. He makes things happen. So we talked about the other examples of people with questionable self-worth. They didn't really see that they had potential. Gideon, in, in the least of his family, he was the youngest, but there's also the belief that that meant that he was the smallest in his family. And God had used him to... Oh, let there be fan. So that God had used him, Gideon, he had a hard time understanding that God wanted to use him to go fight the smallest guy, the last in the chain. And then Moses was another one. We believe he had a speech issue. Stuttering is the speculation that most historians have that he was a stutterer. And God worked with him anyway and sent him out to lead the Israelites out. Tremendous. They did not let their self-image be decided by the world. They just followed what God said they could do. Amen? Our self-image can really, really dictate how we move forward in Him. And that's what we talked about. So I want to move forward in that a little bit today. My dad, I, I spoke to him earlier this week. He's still in Florida. And he said, what you preaching on? Eh, part two. Oh, okay. He wasn't here for part one, but... He thought part two sounded like a very good idea. So I want to carry this a little further. <clears throat> a little further than we went last week. We have a sense of our self-image. That is a common, common thing for me to hear. And I mentioned this last week. That over the years, I've heard people say, I, I just don't know. I, I just don't, you know, God can't use me. I, I mean, he can do anything he wants, but not, you know, with me. He wouldn't do that with me. And their self-image kind of decides things. Have you noticed anybody who's been around long enough, I don't know how old this is, maybe it's 20, maybe it's 40 or 60 or 80, I don't know what this is, but have you noticed that life seems to be cyclical? Yeah. Right? Kind of what goes around comes back, and it goes back, and we see it in fashion. How many times have skinny ties been in, in style? How many times have skinny ties been out of style? Just about as many times as in style, right? Skinny ties were big in the 60s, they were big in the 80s, they are big in the pretty pretty big in the 2000s. Well, fashion's an example, but life itself goes through these cycles. And spiritual life is no different. There is recurrent themes and issues in spiritual life that come up, and they're popular for a while, and then they kind of fade out. And they come up, and they kind of fade out. And we go through them sometimes corporately, but usually individually. And one of the, uh, one of the things that uh, I, I... That's what this message is about today. I'll say it like that. I've got some common snags, some common things that, that come up cyclically over the years, and I've felt them, or I've heard people talk about them. Hey, Jim, what do you think about ba da 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 Or I've noticed this ba da 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 and they'll say it. What do you think about whatever? And I've, I, some of these I have experienced with myself, 
they are common snags. Just like our, our take on self-image can be a snag for us if we don't view it right, these are also common snags, and it's really important for us to keep these in front of us. We need to keep these in front to be aware, to address, and to be ready to share them with other people as they come. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these four snags, but I want to share what the Bible says about them and see if any of them resonate with you. I will tell you, there's one in here in particular that has resonated with me. It has been an off-and-on struggle of mine. I'll tell you when we get there, but see if any of these resonate with you, these common snags, things that would hold us back from being all that God has intended us to be. The first, what does God really want for me? What does he really want for me? I feel like I should be doing something big spiritually. I feel like I should be doing something big. When I was a young man, I was convinced that when I got older, I was going to do something dynamic. I was going to cure spiritual polio. I was going to move the spiritual mountain. I tell you, this, this wasn't the one that really caught me in a snag, but I, I really felt as though this was me. Oh, Jim, I would think, you know, when I get older, I'm really going to do something. Nobody ever told me what that age was, by the way. When I get older, I'm going to do... I just, I thought there's going to be something big. I have known people for a long time that are so convinced that they've got to do something big, they miss the rest of the story. They chase the big. There's one person I know in particular, he really thought he should be a missionary. He was going to go straight from graduation to the mission field. That's what he was going to do. He was just convinced he was going to do it. And he really thought that's what he was supposed to spend his life on. And he hasn't made it yet. It's been over 10 years. And he, I talked to him at one point, and he said, yeah, I, I just, I don't know, I kind of feel like a failure. Isn't that sad? He was focusing so much on the large. This is a big thing. Let's look at this first verse here, Dylan. Psalm 51.17. It is a broken spirit you want, God. This is what David's saying. It's a broken spirit you want, God. Remorse and penitence, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not ignore. This is what we need to focus on. All we have to do is focus on having a broken and contrite heart before God. The rest of this stuff takes care of itself. It's not always the action that's important, but it's the change that's important. Jesus used to spend a lot of time with the the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious, okay, the religious, people who were part of congregations, people who were well-versed in the scriptures. And he would call them out. He would say, look, and I'm going to put it in today's terms, okay? This doesn't say it in the Bible, so please don't hold this to me. Hey, look, all you people who go to churches, all you people who hear all of this, this, this Bible, all of you people who hear this teaching, it's not what you do, it's your heart. Jesus said it many, many times to this community. It's your heart. But many times as believers, we chase the doing. Now I know, I know, I don't want to go too far down this without saying that we are called to do good works. Faith without works is dead. But it's the attitude of the heart that drives it. We're a congregation that's built in body ministry. We get involved here. Boy, do we get involved. We have a, a, about... 85% of the grace members are involved in ministry of some type. Isn't that wonderful? 85%. Everything. Nursery, 
music, cleaning, the chairs. We have somebody who special, a team that specializes in making sure the place is clean before services. Multimedia. It's wonderful. So we're a congregation that believes very much in doing things, but it's the attitude of the heart that's so important. And the people that focus on doing a big thing, they're missing this. It's a broken and contrite heart. Don't focus on the big. Have you ever stopped and just looked at the people in the Bible, the scriptures? How the big things in their life seem to come about? Considering Daniel for a minute. Daniel, this fellow, he was thrown in the lion's den. He, he lands in the lion's den. Why was he thrown in? Just because he was praying. His relationship with God was more important than the edict in the land. His heart was for God. They throw him in the lion's den. He didn't do anything special. It's not like he went and charged up a bunch of hungry lions. I'm going to do something great and take on these lions. Ruth said, your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Her heart made her a pillar in the scriptures. Sometimes we see that God sends somebody to do something. But their heart is what propels them. It's the heart that's so important. It's not the checking off the list, I've done this great thing, and I've done this great thing, and I've done this great thing. It's simply the heart. Number two, common snags. Who is working for whom? Am I God's partner? This is the one that got me. This is one where I, I think, huh. There was a time in the, I don't know, a while ago where this bumper sticker was common. God is my co-pilot. Anybody remember that? And really in that whole era when that bumper sticker came out, what was really, what was really happening is people thought that they were partnering with God to do the work. And I thought that at points in my life. Well, God, I'm your partner. I'm your guy. Let's get this done together. Oh, yeah. It's insanity. Go ahead, Dylan. Acts 17, 25. Human hands can't minister to his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need there is. Huh. I guess he doesn't need my help. Not only that, Dylan. Philippians 2, 13. For God is at work within you. Helping you want to obey him and then helping you do what he wants. All right, let me see if I get this straight. He gives me breath. He makes each new day. He creates in me the desire to want to do things. And he makes it possible within me for the, desire, for the things to come to be. I really don't do all that much, do I? <laughs> he does it all in me. All of it. I don't have to be his partner, which is good because I would be a horrible God partner. God, let me see. Here's what I need you to do, God. I need you to make something really cool, and I'm going to go in there and say, God did it. Well, it's not an equal relationship. It's nuts. He does it all for us. It's very humbling to think that we bring no value to God. None. We don't even wake ourselves up in the morning. Proverbs talks about that. God brings about each new day in our lives. We don't even wake ourselves up in the morning. We bring no value to Him. When we go to Him, it's just because we make Him happy. 
Isn't that something to think about? He just wants us to go, be, go to him. We don't have to worry about his being his partner. We don't have to worry about getting things done. It's the broken and contrite heart and understanding that he is literally everything. That took a, a load off of me when I had this realization, by the way. This was one for me. When I really understood that I didn't have to be his partner, that he didn't expect me to be his partner, whoo! This is an interesting one for life, by the way, because it seems to be the exact opposite of everything else that we do. We have marriage partners. We have professional partners. We have co-workers, people that depend on us. But when it comes to God, nothing. Whoa! Number three, common snag. Timing. Timing. The purpose, the timing of everything. Now, think for a minute. Think. If you're in a hurry and you look at the people you're waiting for, have you ever said the expression, come on, I'm getting old here. I'm dying of old age. Let's go. You ever said that before? You ever heard that before? We view time in terms of our life, don't we? We do everything in terms of that. There's a time when people like to start families. There's a time to wake up in the morning and go to work. If you've ever worked third shift, I've worked third shift before, or second shift, and I know a number of you have. You know what happens. We think it goes against our natural clock. We're like, oh, I want to be sleeping. It's nighttime. I should be sleeping right now. True? We think of things in our, the way the sun rises, the way the sun sets, and in scope of our lifetime here. And we live to that. We have a birthday every year. It's getting close to Christmas, getting close to Easter, getting close to my birthday, getting close to our anniversary. We think in terms of these segments. And God gave us these segments. God gave us this time. It's a good concept for us to get our head around. When we come to Him, we leave. We leave that time zone. Our development stops going from the what we understand day to day to day, and it goes to a spiritual forever. Forever. It's an ongoing forever. So when God develops us, He develops, hey, you're a believer, Judy Gavin. She's one of my children now. She's come to me. So now I'm going to develop Judy in scope of eternity. Not in scope of just earth, but now I'm developing in scope of eternity. In character that will last always. And you know, that development may take a lifetime. For that one concept. If somebody's like Judy, she gets it very quickly. If somebody's like Jeff, he gets it very quickly. But we do, we go and we do this and God develops us in terms of eternity and we get very frustrated with that sometimes, don't we? God, develop me faster. Come on, don't you know I'm going to die? What's happening here? Don't, can't you tell I'm old? Moses was 80 years old when he led the Israelites out. I wonder what he was thinking. I wonder, I wonder, and we won't know this till heaven. This is not in the scriptures, at least not that I've, I've seen. I wonder if Moses was, if he hit some point in his life when he was before the burning bush experience where he thought, uh, I'm going to retire. I had a, that's about a wrap for me. I'm almost 80 here. And I'm going to wrap this up. <laughs> you know, what did God say to Moses? I mean, I just, I can't, the journey in Moses has had the development that God did in Moses, even leading up to the burning bush. 
But God develops us in scope of eternity. Sometimes we want answers pronto. Sometimes we want to know what we're supposed to do pronto because we have the sense of urgency because we think of our lifestyle and our timing here on earth. Go ahead, Dylan. Psalm 37, 7. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Be still in the presence of the Lord. Wait patiently for him to act. Remember, we're only fighting our own sense of urgency. Have you ever tried to explain to a two-year-old how long a week is? Next week, we're going to go to Disney. Disney! Ah! And they want to go get their suitcase. Right? Or a three-year-old or a four-year-old. The concept of seven days to a four-year-old is... We are a lot like that to, in scopes of eternity, I suppose, aren't we? God says, boy, I'm going to develop you. You cannot, it's going to be fabulous, the work I do in your life. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be wonderful. And we go get our little suitcase. Okay, here we go. <laughs> God's time is different than our time. And finally, the, the snag. How will we know we're successful? How will we know we're successful? Our big finish. Now, this doesn't have to be at the end of our life. This doesn't mean that, great, thanks, Jim. Thanks for nothing, because I've got 60 years to find out if I'm successful. That's not what I'm saying over there. (laughs) Mike Fantry, I'm not saying, great, I've got two years to go. (laughs) (laughs) The big finish. This is how God defines success is radically different than how we define success in the world's perspective. Radically different. Go ahead, Dylan. For 2 Corinthians 3.18, So all of us who have had the veil removed, that's us, believers, that is, if you believe, if you accept the Lord in your heart, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed in His glorious image. That is our success measure. As we take on the glorious image... We are little glory pods with legs. We are. I don't know what you would call that on the open street. They're going to think I'm crazy for saying that. But we are little glory pods with legs. Everywhere we go, we know we're successful when people recognize the glory of what God's done in our life. Then we're on to something. Then we've been successful. It's not how big we've done something for God. It's the broken and contrite heart we have so the Spirit can move and change and align us to being like Him. That's the Holy Spirit's job, isn't it? To bring us together in Christ's character. People will say, I've heard this many times, I want to see God's glory. I want to see God's glory. I want to see God's glory. Go look in the mirror. I like what Moses said. God, I want to see your glory Lord said, sure, I'll show you my goodness. When God does things in our life, he changes us. I am not the same person. Now, if people can't tell, if they can only tell that I'm a believer because I go to church, well, that's pretty superficial. This is the kind of stuff, when he changes us in his image, then I change. I'm a different person. You're a different person. 
And if you can't tell in looking at your life, if people can't tell around you, then I want to encourage you to go back and visit number one again, the broken and contrite heart. Because God will change you. It's amazing. What do we have in here? Probably about 120 people or so-ish. I can look around the room. Let's ask the question, how many of you have been in, born in Duluth, Minnesota? Okay, just me. Somehow I made it here with all of you. How many of you were born in Michigan? Florida? Texas? Alabama? Somehow or another, somebody from Texas got here and somebody from Minnesota got here. How many of you were born in Ohio? California? Washington? Oregon? Somebody? Oregon? Texas? Wisconsin? Or Minnesota? Where am I from? Minnesota. <laughs> Somehow he brought us here. How many of you were born in the northern half of Wisconsin? Wow. Praise God you made it out. You've been liberated. <laughs> the northern half. Somehow you made it here. How many of you were born in the southern half of Wisconsin? How many of you were born in Illinois? Okay, all right. Somehow we made it here. Somehow the Holy Spirit worked to bring us here this time, this moment in time. Your characters have been changed and aligned. My character has been changed and aligned, and we meet with the same character. We are little glory pods with legs. Everywhere we go, we represent the work that God's done in our life. This is why it's so important that we watch what we say. Because what we say can just kill, kill what God's been working on in years. Can't it? We are little glory pods. That is how we identify our success. We do not identify our success by our health. We do not identify our success by our money. We do not identify our success by our talents. We do not identify our success by the size of the miracle by our trade, or our education, or our whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. That is not it. Our self-image comes from God, and we identify all forms of that success by the glory and the reflection of Christ's character in us. That's powerful. And we all end up in the same page. We live in a time where there is all kinds of uh, division in our community. Isn't that true? If we were all simply pursuing the Lord, just God, a lot of it's going to go away. We take on His character. The Holy Spirit does the work. Okay, I'm going on and on now. Maybe this is why I call it preaching. I'm so excited. I can think of no greater pleasure, no greater pleasure than representing and taking on Christ's character. And if God thinks that I'm worthy to tote that character of Christ around with me, then I will do it, and I will do it gladly. Isn't that not a humbling thing? I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that we're in here doing it together. If you're a visitor to Grace, an old-timer in Grace, I'm so grateful that we're doing it together. I'm so grateful that you're here today. I do believe firmly that you're not here by accident. I believe that God is too sovereign to let that happen. I believe that you've been drawn, that I've been drawn, and we do it together.